Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kira Mulvaney and we have a special edition of the podcast for you today as this Friday, July 23rd, Showbox, the new generation, has a three-fight card that marks the franchise's 20th anniversary. The Showbox grew out of discussions that promoter Gary Shaw, then with Main Events, had with then-Showtime Sports Chief Jay Larkin in 2001 about an idea for a series that showed young up-and-coming boxers in tough fights, a a boxing show that would sort the genuine prospects from the pretenders. Larkin handed the reins to Gordon Hall, who has been executive producer of the series ever since, a series that has seen 258 shows that have yielded 84 world titleists, including the likes of Andre Ward, Tim Bradley, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Errol Spence, Jerron Ennis, and Devin Haney. And who better to discuss Showbox, its history and its success than the faces of the franchise, our good friends Barry Tompkins, Steve Farhood, and Raul Marquez. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations to you and indeed everyone on the team for helping steer Showbox to its 20th anniversary. Thank you for having us. And as the senior spokesman here, I uh, (laughs) can't tell you how proud we are. And it's great to see uh, Barry and Raul's faces. I love to see somebody else be referred to as senior. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It depends how how you handle seniority in this case. (laughs) And and for me, guys, for me, thank you. I'm just just glad to be, uh, you know, next to this two Hall of Famers. I'm I'm trying to fit in. I'm still trying to fit in, but... (laughs) You know, it's getting there. It's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> We're well, doing a fine job fitting in after all these years. Um, so let's let's open up this conversation with a Jeopardy style question. Uh, you guys don't have buzzers, but you can just uh, raise your hand and I'll call on you. Uh, although I have to warn Barry and Raul, this should be easier for Steve than for either of you. Uh, so, so here it is. Rem- remember to phrase your answer in the form of a question. The, cat- <laughs> the category is showbox firsts. This 18-1-1 welterweight from Middletown, New Jersey, was the first boxer to win a bout on Showbox. Oh, I saw Steve oh goes, Steve's God. hand go up immediately. <laughs> it's only fair because I was there and these two guys weren't. So that's uh, Johnny Molnar from New Jersey who won the very first fight. And of course, not that you asked, but Martin O'Malley and uh, Leo Doreen, both 17-0, fought in the first main event. And six months later, Leo Doreen was a world champ. So that got the show off on the right foot. Yeah, it, it sure did. And so, okay, then then here's a, a, a follow-up question that might be a tiny bit tougher about the first show. Although, uh, again, Steve, you uh, probably have a big advantage here. This person was the very first ring announcer on Showbox. I bet you one of these guys knows the answer to that. I'll give them a chance. Ra- Raul, I saw your hand I, I, go up. I, I, don't, I don't know, but... I, I... It's a girl, right? It's a lady. Yes, sir. It is, yeah, but yes. I, what's her name? I forgot uh, her name, but yeah, I know. Who, worked, I, see her, her. I see her. I see her. Uh, Barry, Barry, do you know the name? He's from Kentucky. Uh, yes. <laughs> are we going to have to go to Steve uh, to give the actual uh, answer here? I will never think of her name. Oh, I, I see her, but I, I don't get the name. I can't get the name. I can't the, get the, the name. The one and only Amy Hayes. That Amy is correct. Hayes. Amy Hayes. Right, well done. Well, uh, hey, it's, it's it's a clean sweep for Steve. You, you'll return next week as our Showbox Jeopardy <laughs> defending champion. Well, I did pretty well on Jeopardy, Boxing Jeopardy. So oh, right. that's right. That's right. That was fun. Um, so, Steve, look, after Nick Charles was hired as the blow-by-blow guy, you were brought on board as the first analyst. Um, you've been with the show ever since. 
uh, and you've played as big a role as anyone really in shaping the show over the 20 years. But I'm curious what you thought about the idea when you were first approached. I get the impression that plenty of those involved in the beginning had a great idea, it will never last kind of attitude. Was, was that kind of yours as well? Well, it wasn't that we thought it would never last. It's that we had no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some of the greatest TV ideas in history, they make a pilot and you never hear from them again. So we didn't know. Um, what I did know was it seemed to make sense to have a show about prospects. There had never been one. I mean, boxing's been on television since the, I guess, since the 40s. And it's kind of odd that no show was dedicated to prospects. So just in terms of the, the theory of the show, it made perfect sense. And I think that's one of the reasons it survived some of the early bumps along the way and remains here 20 years later. Mm. If I can interject, you know, uh, this show, part and parcel, belongs to Steve Farhood and Gordon Hall. I mean, they set the tone for the show. They've been the driving force behind the show for its duration. They set the tempo of the show, the mission of the show. You know, Ra- Raul and I are, are, you know, we're the new kids, you know, but because of the tone that they set, it was really easy for the two of us to step in. And, and our predecessors, you know, Nick Charles, those are some pretty big shoes, you know, and not to mention, and I, I think it's pretty much public knowledge. I mean, Steve and Nick were best of friends. So, mm-hmm. you know, beyond the circumstances of Nick's passing, which was tragic, you know, and Steve being so close to him, you know, it could have been really difficult for both myself and for Raul, but the tone of the show was so set by Gordon and Steve that the transition was so easy. And let me just throw in one very quick thing and I'll say it on the record. Raul and Barry are very difficult to work with. Very difficult. (laughs) Which one more so? Which one's more difficult? Well, Barry just flies off the handle at times. His temper is just unbelievable. It is, and that's why I had to retire from boxing. (laughs) <laughs> and, and because Barry is, is focusing on where we're going to have lunch the next day. He's trying to look for the restaurant. I don't know what, 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 what restaurant are we going to eat? You know, that's, that's, that's why. That's what I like about working with Steve is he prepares. You know, right. I don't have to. I don't have to worry about that. I, all I have to worry about is where are we going to eat, right? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so Raúl, as as the the fighter in the bunch, I'm curious uh, uh, for your perspective. Just you know, you were coming up as a prospect in the decade just prior to Showbox. What kind of TV opportunities were there for you in like '93, '94, and what sort of difference might it have made in your career if Showbox was around then? Well, I mean, uh, actually, I've been doing broadcasting for a long time. And even when I was a fighter, I, my first broadcasting gig was in 1996 on Telemundo. Uh, somebody got hurt, broke their leg or something like that. And they said, hey, you want to try it? Uh, the producer back then was uh, uh, Rick Sierra, who, who a bunch of us yep. know. Yep. And he gave me an opportunity. And uh, I, I guess I did a good job, you know, and I and I stuck to it. And other opportunities just happened after that. Uh working with different uh, broadcasters, doing Spanish, doing English. I mean, I, I worked with Steve before, with Al, with Barry, uh, in doing uh, uh, international calls. And, uh, you know, back to the other question, when I was a fighter, I didn't have the, you know, there wasn't a platform back then that I remember. Uh, I signed with the Dubas right after uh, I got out of the Olympics. But I, what I do know is I was fighting on a lot of big cards, you know, like Evander Holyfield fought, Pernod Whitaker. The only thing is I wasn't really seen because I fought at the beginning of the show. You know, remember the mm-hmm. big pay-per-view events 
and I'm fighting when there's what 10 people in the crowd. <laughs> so I didn't get a lot of exposure. You know, the press knew about me because I was an Olympian and I was, you know, and I had a great amateur background and they knew about me. But it had it had there been a, a, a platform like that where I would have been moved in into, uh, obviously I would have been more no better known to the public by, by the time I made it to when I was fine uh, for a world title. But you know, for, for and back to the broadcasting thing. All through the years and, you know, finally got an opportunity to work with Showtime. And, you know, I'm here with Barry and Steve. Uh, what, 10 years later, I've been a part of a showbox and it's been it's been a, a crazy ride. And, and, and I love it. It's exciting. And we always have a good time doing it. Yeah. And it wouldn't be possible, of course, without the name that Barry mentioned earlier, Gordon Hall. Uh, so, Barry, you spoke a little bit about Gordon. Uh, Steve and Raul, I'm curious for you to tell people, you know, we know Gordon, uh, the executive producer, but a lot of the listeners wouldn't necessarily know all about him because he's behind the scenes. So, Steve, you first. What, what can you tell people about Gordon and what he brings to the show? Well, Gordon is Gordon views Showbox as his child. You know, he's been a long time uh, high level executive at Showtime on many different levels. But this was the first show that was his. Jay Larkin, who founded the show with Gary Shaw and Frank Warren in 2001, handed the reins over because it was a smaller show. And Jay obviously was worried about the bigger show, the Showtime Championship Boxing Show. But Gordon has, if nothing else, has been stubborn in pushing Showbox when sometimes no one else is doing it at the, at the corporate yeah. level, at the showtime level. You know, we all understand the value of the show and no one doubts it. But we've had our ups and downs, especially early on when we weren't sure if the show was going to continue. And Gordon has fought for it and fought for it. And the, he won over the promoters. You know, he's a very, very nice guy and a, a low-key guy. And guys like that can get chewed up in boxing and spit out mm -hmm. in the business sense. Well, he hasn't. He can be tough when he has to be. And uh, he established his reputation with, the, with his promoters. And as a result, we got the fights and the fighters we've needed and that's been steady for 20 years yeah and, and raul you as you said you've worked on a few different uh, networks over the years and with a few different executive producers how, how yes. what makes gordon unique i mean gordon uh you know he's he's a great boss man we <laughs> we get along we we talk about you know whatever anything we talk about uh, he's uh, a. <laughs> I see Steve laughing because <laughs> uh, you know he's very open. open I don't know guy, what you mean. Blood guy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean he he's he's just a very open guy. You know he's a family guy. He cares about my wife, my my kids, my family. He asks about Giovanni, who, you know, amateur career, who's you know going to be finding the national golden gloves here in Tulsa. So you know it's it just makes it great having a, that kind of boss. You know that cares about you. Uh, you look forward to. To the showbox shows, you know, to the showbox dinners and everybody getting together and and talking about what's been going on. And, uh, you know, we always go over the fights, me, me and, and Gordon, he'll call me and it's like, he, you know, he's telling me about the the fighters, what they're going to do and what's this and this. And, and I, I, sometimes I tell him, wait a minute. Am I going to be doing the show or are you doing it? Are you taking my spot? <laughs> and, and, and he just keeps going because I want to jump in. I said, man, Gordon, if you work next to me. You would never let me talk if I was because <laughs> he just keeps going and going, you know. So, but that's how much he cares about the show and about the mm. fighters and everybody that's, uh, you know, me as a broadcaster. He wants us to do good and make it a good show. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's the best. I mean, he's he's a a, a really good person in, in my eyes. Mm. I think one of the things that makes the show so effective is is the feel of it, and you know, and I don't just mean the fact that you come from like. Oklahoma and Iowa instead of 
Las Vegas, but it's the way that you three present the show and interact with each other. It, it feels, and I mean, it's very genuine. It's a very, very, very big compliment. It feels almost as if you could be sitting on the couch with me talking about the fight. You know, it's very relaxed uh, the way that you go about it. And I'm wondering how much of that is intentional on your part or if it's just a function of your combined personalities. Uh, well, I, I, I want Barry to talk about this too, but let me just very quickly say that if you can't work with Barry Tompkins, you are in the wrong line of work. Barry has <laughs> called everything from tiddlywinks to poker, oh, to nice. everything. He was on the Today Show for years. He's just a brilliant broadcaster. And Barry is old school in that he doesn't try to be something he's not. He's an easygoing, breezy type of guy. And if Raul, if you like what Raul and I bring to the broadcast, it's thanks to Barry because he's driving the bus. You know, to mm -hmm. me, the play-by-play -play guy has the hardest job. You know, Raul and I know boxing in different ways because it's, it's what we do. But Barry has to run the, run the show. The, the microphone is on him at the start of the show. And he's the boss. And if you like the way we have dynamics between us, it's thanks to Barry. Well, I appreciate that. It's very nice to say. But the fact is, I, 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 this is not a false modesty. I think it's these guys, it's Raul and Steve, who have the tougher job. Because my job really is just to say, <laughs> here, no, really, here, my job is to say, here's what's happening. You know, just like I can describe a screen that I'm looking at right now with with the four of you. You know, I can just say I'm up there in the left hand corner. I'm wearing a blue shirt. And there's Eric. He's got a red T-shirt on, really looking good. Beard getting a little gray, but you know. So I'm just describing what's going on in front of me. So I'm just telling the the what. It's up to Raul and Steve to tell the why. And I think that's really what makes the difference in the broadcast. You know, and and I think we all kind of have fallen into our own role, if you will, uh, of how we do things. We rarely talk over each other, and mm. that doesn't often happen in a three-man booth. And I think it's born, again, I take this back to Gordon Hall, you know, and everything these guys said was accurate, but it's really familial. That's what the show yeah. is, you know, and I'm not just talking about Gordon and Steve and Raul and myself. I'm talking about, you know, the A2 and the, the graphics people and the, you know, the boom operator and, and the stage manager and everybody else. There are guys on our crew that have been there far longer than Rule and I have and women on the crew. Uh, and they keep coming back and they'll work for Gordon anytime, even though they may not make as much money as if they were working for one of the big networks. Uh, but they enjoy the work environment. And it's, again, the tone is set by Gordon. So the, the crew is familial. We all really enjoy each other's company. Uh, speaking for myself, all I have to worry about is my job. I don't have to worry about what's coming next, you know, from the producer or what shots are gonna be taken from the director or, uh, you know, how am I lit or what are my mic problems or any, all I have to worry about is my job. I don't have to do Steve's job. I don't have to do Raul's job. I don't have to think, oh my God, what are they gonna say? Am I gonna have to jump in here and save them? And I promise you over the course of my career, that's happened many 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 times you know where you're you know your heart's in your throat thinking I, I may have to go any one of 15 ways in the next five seconds you know so there is none of that and and again we talk about this too i think my attitude about not only boxing frankly but in other sports too with exceptions or football but basketball say basketball same as boxing it's all out in front of you. You see it. You don't need me really to say, you know, as a left jab or right jab. Or left, only when there's really something that really happens do I do real play-by-play. Um, so I, we think of it as three guys sitting on a bar stool talking about a fight.
we'd be remiss if we didn't, didn't acknowledge the fact that for 20 years, we've had one producer, Rich Gone, and one director, Rick Phillips, and that's very unusual in television. Yeah. So not only have we had one executive producer, but one producer and director, and that adds a lot of continuity and makes the broadcast that much better. And I, I just wanted to add that uh, another reason why I feel that we work so well together is like besides the, the team dinner when we all have, you know, uh, on like on a Thursday night, the day of the fight, uh, you know, Barry and Steve actually come to my room and we have our own meeting. We have our own meeting and we talk about, we give each other ideas. They, they help me out. We help each other out. You know, it's teamwork. You know, uh, you know, Steve is like my English teacher. You know, he he's the boxing encyclopedia. He's everything. And Barry, you know, Barry just is Barry. He knows everything. I mean, you don't you don't have to worry about nothing. So I think that's what makes the team so well. I mean, they, and this guy's I mean, they're, they're they're pros, man. They're veterans. They've been around. They give me ideas. And at the end of the day, you know, whatever ideas they give me. It's up for me to deliver. You know, once the camera comes on, I got to be able to deliver. But I think us, you know, we're so much together. We spend a lot of time together. Besides that meeting that we have in my room the day of the fight, we go and have lunch. We're, we're just the three stooges, man. We, we, we're always hanging out together. Yeah. So I think that's what that makes it so uh, unique and, 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 a, and a good team. I just want to throw in one other big picture kind of comment. You talk about the dynamics here in between us. Name me another sport on television where the analysts were not either coaches or former players. Mm. You can't, there are none. Mm. You had look at boxing. You have Steve Farhood, you have Rich Murata, you have Max Kellerman, you have Larry Merchant, mm. you have, I'm leaving out probably plenty of others, but that's an interesting thing about boxing that non-participants, Raul is the fighter. He looks at it from his perspective, but the non-participants can act as, as analysts on these shows. It's very unusual. I don't think there's another sport like it in that mm. regard. Mm. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Um, so uh, th this feels like kind of an obvious question, but I think it's worth asking. There's no way that Showbox lasts 20 years if it's a showcase for prospects to beat up journeymen, right? Uh, I mean, how rare has it been over the run of the show for you guys to get the information on a Showbox card and say to yourself, oh, that's a mismatch. That's an easy one for the prospect. That doesn't happen very often, I assume. Uh, Steve, as uh, one of the two people claiming seniority, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you respond to that first. No, the matchmaking is thanks to Gordon Hall because what happened is Showbox evolved. And with time, promoters and young fighters understood that there was value to fighting on the show. Value in terms of recognition, obviously, and value in terms of if you can win on Showbox, you're going to advance as a fighter. You know, for all the champions, 84 of them that we've had who became champions after they fought on Showbox, we've also had a bunch of busts. We've had a bunch of pretenders. 130-something, 120 fighters have suffered their first loss on Showbox. So part of the deal is, well, this guy's not real. Let's see let's see how he does. It's not all about, you know, Devin Haney and Boots Ennis and, and right. guys that are going to be future champions. So the matchmaking is critical. And some fighters are up for it. And some are not up to it. Yeah. And to that end, if I can say, you know, we have fighter meetings, obviously, the day, usually the, the day before the fight when we're on site. And now because of the pandemic and because of protocols, we have to do it on Zoom. And again, I think I, I'm just speaking for myself, but I'm quite sure Raul and Steve would agree. It's just not the same. When you sit across the table from a young fighter, and especially it's a guy who hasn't had a lot of media exposure for the most part, you can get a pretty good read on who's real and who's not, mm. you know, just by looking in their eyes and hearing how they talk. And there've been many times we walked into a fighter meeting and thought, you know, going into the meeting, we thought, well, I'm pretty sure this guy 
is going to win the fight. You know, he's got more chance. He's got more experience. He's got a bigger part, whatever it happens to be, you know. And then you look across the table and start talking to, to the B-side guy. And we walk out of the meeting. Oftentimes, it's happened saying, you know, I give this guy a real chance. And many, many times, I say as many times as it doesn't happen, it does happen, you know, that the B-side fighter wins. It's totally different doing it on Zoom. And quite frankly, in my opinion, it affects the broadcast. Interesting. Interesting. I'm, I'm sure that you've got plenty of examples. This is one of those questions that's either going to be really easy or really hard because you have so many examples to, to pick from. But, you know, talking about how well-matched a lot of these fighters are often leads to fantastic fights. And I'm wondering if there are any fights in particular that really leap out to you as being real showbox classics that you guys have called? Wow. Well, what's interesting about Showbox, and I have every fight written down, all 500 of them, whatever. <laughs> We've had a lot of really good fights, but what we really had is a lot of fantastic first rounds. Mm-hmm. And first round fights, led by Saku Powell and Cornelius Bundridge, which right. was a double knockdown with the first two punches thrown. Uh, Kendall Holt and Ricardo yep. Torres, a world title fight that had more happen in the first minute than any fight I ever remember. Um, we had, we've had a 15 second knockout in a heavyweight fight with, uh, Walker. So there, there've been the first round fights are the ones that stick out in my mind. Also, how about the John Molina come, come back from behind win when he, uh, he was losing against, it was a fight in Vegas. Who was he fighting, Steve? Uh, it's, a, it's a Floyd Mayweather fighter. Right. That's right. It was a Mayweather uh, yeah, guy. Mickey and I'm blanking Mayweather. on the Mickey Bay. That's it. Yeah. Mickey Bay. Uh, Mickey Bay, uh, was winning the fight and and Molina came back from behind. I forgot what round and he he, he knocked him out. He it was it was a, a great end and that those are the kind of fights that stick to my mind. When guys come back from behind they're they're losing and then you ended the knockout, they win by knockout. It it's just, it's exciting. And you know, Molina Mickey thing- Bay is is a, is a, a, a Barry doesn't want to hear about it because he didn't work that show. It's the one show he missed. Oh that's Mo right. came in and called the fight. <laughs> And did his Mamma Mia at the end and everything was a fantastic <laughs> last round. Barry missed out on a, a, a potential great moment. Yeah. You know, the other side of it that, that we also see, and again, this speaks to the meetings. Uh, I can remember the one that comes to my mind, Steve, is, is Oshakwi Foster. This guy was really being touted as a bright, young prospect, had all the tools, was going to be terrific. And you could in the meetings, he was – he was beyond shy. We, we find a lot of guys who are a little bit reticent, and somewhat shy. He was beyond shy. He was almost uncomfortable in his own skin. And uh, that night he fought against a guy he really should have handled easily. And he just That's spit right. the bit. He just couldn't mm-hmm. fight. You mm-hmm. know, now he's going on to a little bit of success since then. He's made kind of a comeback. But, uh, but yeah, you know, he was the guy that was not only the A-side, but very much the A-side in that fight. And, uh, and he wound up just, he didn't do anything. He just couldn't pull the trigger, mm-hmm. you know? So we actually, see that happen a lot too. Yeah. Actually, it was an outside fight in, in Vegas yes. and it was cold. Yeah. I remember it was cold right. and, yes. and Oshaki literally with the lights, the Showtime lights, I think he mm-hmm. saw Barry Tompkins and Steve Farhood. He, he <laughs> just like it. froze, you know, he was, yeah. Yeah, he was starstruck. He literally, you know, he could just couldn't pull the trigger, man. But uh-huh. yeah. he came back on Showbox and he won a couple of fights and look where he's at now. He's a top fighter. Yeah, he beat John Fernandez. The, the lesson to be learned from that mm-hmm. fight and many others, never judge a prospect by one fight. You have to see a fighter multiple times. And if we, in doing our research, if we see a fighter only once, because that's all that's available on YouTube, you can't draw big conclusions. Yeah, and the opposite is true. Do we see guys, 
the guy that comes to mind, and I'll, I won't ever think of his first name, but Douglas. Antoine was, Douglas, yeah. Antoine, Antoine Douglas, yes. Breezing through people. I mean, we had him, mm -hmm. what, three times, four times maybe, Steve? Yeah, we had five and times. he was winning, winning big right on the doorstep. And then he got whacked. And that was the end of his career, basically. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys have kind of provided a perfect transition from talking about the most memorable fights to some of the actual fighters. Um, who, who are some of the first names that come to mind in terms of either a fighter who epitomizes what a showbox fighter is or just even like the most talented ones you saw, the guys that you got to call on showbox who and said immediately uh, again, bearing in mind that sometimes you can't tell it all from one fight, but nevertheless, you saw it said immediately, oh, this guy's going to be something special. Uh, Steve, I'll, I'll start with you first again. Who are the first names that come to mind? Well, the first names come to mind are two recent fighters who are both very, very young when we had them, and that's Devin Haney and Boots Ennis. Mm -hmm. Haney's already a champion, Ennis will be a champion. They're both, they both blew us away the minute we saw them. But the first name that excited me in the early days of Showbox was Ricky Hatton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were lucky enough to go to England very, very often in the early days. And Hatton was already fighting in front of big crowds. He already had 20-something fights. We can't really claim to have discovered him. But he was just thrilling. And you just knew that this guy wasn't going to have a long prime because of the way he fought. Mm -hmm. But he was going to make it all the way. Yeah, and if I remember right, that, that was against Freddie Pendleton, right? Uh, his, yeah, the first, first time. Yeah, which, which was sort of a... Um, uh, it deviated from the typical showbox type of fight in that it was prospect versus sort of veteran journeyman. Uh, but in that case, I guess it was, we want to get Ricky Hatton on the air, this up and coming sensation. So we uh, deviate from the script slightly, I guess, exactly. with matchmaking there. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What Raul, are, what are there particular fighters that jump oh, out to you? Yeah, for me, uh, you know, uh, lately it had been Boots Ennis, you know, just uh, when I saw him, uh, I knew he had a good amateur background, but his style, man, it's he's got a great style. He's a complete package, you know, the way he switches from lefty to righty uh, from different angles without even seeing it, you know, like he's so fast and he he uh, it mixes it up really well. But he also attacks, you know, he's got that killer instinct when he hurts you, he goes in there and finishes you. So, uh, and, you know, he's really developed into a really good fighter. Look where he's at now. And another guy that stands out to me is uh, Errol Spence. You know, I knew Errol Spence uh, from the amateurs, too, and I'd, I always followed him. And I knew when he, you know, when he fought. We had him early on on, on, uh, on Showbox. And uh, yeah, I always thought his style was better suited for the pros because he's a fighter that, you know, he gets better at the fights, goes on. You know, I remember when he fought Kel Brook. And, uh, you know, I mean, for someone to go over there and beat, uh, someone like Kill Brook on the other side of the world, you know, usually don't don't win over there. So I mean, he he broke him down, and and again, I I I've always like when I saw him on on Showbox, you know, he uh, he impressed me, and I knew he was going to get somewhere. And look where he's at now; he's he's going to fight a big fight against uh, Manny Pacquiao, right? And he's he really he's to me he's pound for pound top three. Uh, yeah, that's that's going yeah. from from Showbox to the from very Showbox, top yeah. when you're fighting Manny exactly. Pacquiao. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, for uh, me, it's Boots Ennis. I, I really agree uh -huh. with Steve here. Boots Ennis and Devin Haney are the two guys that, uh, for different reasons, Boots Ennis is a guy that the minute we saw him, uh, and we actually saw him first, or at least I saw him first, and Steve, I think we were together. Uh, we were in Las Vegas for something and went and watched him fight. wasn't on a, on a Showbox card. It was before he ever got to Showbox. And he was really impressive in that fight. And I thought, oh, I can't wait to see this guy. And I agree. Once once we saw him, to me, he's he's a complete fighter. Uh, you know, I think he I think he not only will be a champion. I think he has a chance to be a champion 
for a long time. Devin Haney is another guy that I find really an interesting guy uh, in the sense that I see him getting better and better. And quite frankly, I wasn't really sure he would do that because of the, the way he surrounded himself. I mean, when he was on our air on Showbox, he had a valet. You know, he had a guy, he literally would walk into our meeting, he would stand in front of the table that we were sitting at until a valet pushed his chair in for it. No <laughs> way. <laughs> had like six you well, know, Barry, you make, you make me like do that for you all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and I, I had that as an exclusive thing in my contract. It really pissed me off. Right? <laughs> Final question is for you specifically, Steve. Thinking back to those very early days, how do you imagine your good friend Nick Charles would be feeling about the fact that the show that you guys started has made it to 20 years anniversary? Well, at the risk of getting emotional, I, I, I think he would have loved it. You know, Nick was very different than Barry in a lot of ways. Um, one, demeanor and disposition. Barry's easygoing, and, and, and Nick was super intense, sometimes too intense. But the difference is Barry had done a career's worth of work in boxing before he came to Showtime, calling some of the biggest fights in history for HBO many years ago. Nick was new to boxing. Not new to boxing, but new to calling boxing. So he developed and grew where Barry was obviously quite a finished product by the time he came to us. But I think Nick would, would love the fact that the show lasted so long. And basically, I know from management's perspective, as soon as he got hired, they felt they had something special. It wasn't Steve Farhood, that's for sure. It was Nick Charles. <laughs> we, have a, we have a pro, we have a national announcer. We're going to be okay. Yeah, well, it has been something special. It's been something special for 20 years. Um, it's been awesome to have you guys on. This has been an absolutely fantastic podcast. Thank you so very much. I know listeners will really enjoy it. And congratulations, guys, again. 20 years. That's really fantastic. And uh, all the best for the show on Friday. Thanks. Thank thanks, for the thanks. thanks for having us. Thanks so much to Barry, Steve, and Raul for that conversation. That was immensely fun. Uh, we hope to be back again this week with another opportunity to look back at 20 years of Showbox. And the franchise's 259th show will air this Friday, July 23rd at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And we will, of course, break it down on our regular Monday morning podcast next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.